Section 50 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. Section 50. Italy and the West, 410 to 476 by Ernest Barker. Chapter 14, Part 4 For some months after the disappearance of Avitus, there was an interregnum. Rissima apparently took no steps to fill the vacancy, and Marcion, the Eastern Emperor, was on his deathbed. At last Leo, who had eventually succeeded to Marcion by the grace of Aspar, the master of the troops in the East, elevated Rissima to the dignity of Patricius, 457, and named Majorian, who had fought by Rissima's side in the struggle of 456, as Magister Militum in his stead. A few months afterwards the election of the Senate and the consent of the army united to make Majorian emperor. Majorian belonged to an old Roman family with administrative traditions. His grandfather had been Magister Peditum et Equitum on the Danube under Theodosius the Great. His father had been a fiscal officer under Aetius, and under Aetius he had himself served with distinction. If we can trust the evidence of his constitutions and the testimony of Procopius, Majorian has every title to be considered one of the greatest of the later Roman emperors. Not only is the rescript in which he notifies his accession to the Senate full of pledges of good government, he sought in the course of his reign to redeem his pledges and by strengthening, for instance, the office of Defensor Civitatis to repeople and reinvigorate the declining municipia of the empire. The constitution by which he sought to protect the ancient monuments of Rome is in marked contrast with the vandalism to which Avitus had been forced, and bears witness to the conservative and Roman policy which he sought to pursue. In his foreign policy he addressed himself manfully to the problems which faced him in Africa, in Gaul and in Spain. His first problem lay naturally in Gaul, the party which had stood for Avitus and the Visigoths who had been its allies were both inevitably opposed to the man who had joined in Avitus's deposition and the reconciliation of Gaul to the new regime was thus of primary importance. After issuing a number of constitutions for the reform of the empire in the course of 458, Majorian crossed the Alps at the end of the year with a motley army of Rusians, Suaves, and Ostrogoths. The Gallo-Roman party received him without a struggle, and the literator of the party, Sidonius Apollinaris, pronounced a eulogy on the emperor at Lyon. With the Visigoths, who had been attacking Arles, there was a short but apparently decisive struggle. Theodoric II was beaten, and renewed his alliance with Rome. It remained for the Majorian to regulate the affairs of Spain and using it as a base 
to equip a fleet in its ports for a final attack on Gaiseric. In 460 he moved into the province. His victory over the Visigoths, themselves in occupation of much of Spain since 457, had made his path easy, and a fleet of 300 vessels, which had long been under preparation, was assembled at the port of Alicante for the expedition against the Vandals. But Gaiseric, aided by treachery, surprised the fleet and captured a number of ships. The projected expedition collapsed, like every expedition against Gaiseric, and Majorian had to acknowledge defeat. He seems to have made a treaty with Gaiseric, recognising the new acquisitions which Gaiseric had made since 455. But the failure of the expedition proved nevertheless his ruin. Rissima was jealous of an emperor who showed himself too vigorous, and though Majorian had sought to conciliate him, as the language of his constitution shows, he had failed to appease his jealousy. When he moved into Italy in the summer of 461, perhaps to forestall an attack by Rissima, he only came to meet with defeat and death in a battle near Tortona. With him, indeed, died the Roman name, and in his fall the barbarian party triumphed. His reign had been filled by a manly attempt at the Renovatio Imperii, both by administrative reforms within and a vigorous policy without, but his reforms had aroused the opposition of a corrupt bureaucracy. His foreign policy had been defeated by the cunning of Gaiseric, and he fell before the jealousy of the barbarian whom he overshadowed. The death of Majorian advanced the dissolution of the Western Empire a step further. The Visigoths and the Vandals both regarded themselves as absolved from the treaties which they had made with Majorian, and Gaiseric, hating Rissima as the nephew of Wallia, the destroyer of part of his people, directed his piratical attacks once more against Sicily and Italy. Not only so, but when Rissima raised to the imperial throne Severus, a puppet emperor on the reverse of which coins he significantly placed his own monogram, two of the provincial governors of the empire refused him allegiance and ruled as independent sovereigns within their spheres, Agadius in central Gaul and Marcellinus in Dalmatia. Rissima was almost powerless. He could only attempt an alliance with the Visigoths against Agadius and send his petitions to the eastern emperor Leo to keep Marcellinus and the Vandals in check. The policy had some success. Agadius and Theodoric checked each other until the death of the former in 464, and Marcellinus was induced by the Eastern Emperor to keep the peace. But Gaiseric, though he consented to restore Eudoxia and one of her daughters to Leo, refused to cease from his raids upon Italy until he had received the inheritances of Asius and Valentinian the third, which he claimed in the name of his captives, Gaudentius the son of Asius, and Eudoxia the elder daughter of Valentinian, now married to his son, Honoric. To these claims he soon added another. Placidia, the younger daughter of Valentinian, 
was married at Constantinople to a Roman senator, Olibrius, and Gaiseric demanded that Olibrius, now the brother-in-law of his own son, and therefore likely to be a friend of the Vandals, should be acknowledged as emperor of the West. As Attila had demanded the church plate of Sirmium, and the hand of Honoria, so Gaiseric now demanded the two inheritances and the succession of Olibrius, and it was to give weight to these demands that he continued to direct his annual raids against Italy. It is perhaps the positions held by Agadius and Marcellinus in Gaul and Dalmatia which show most clearly the ruin of the empire. The flagging brain ceases to control the limbs and members of the state. The Roman scheme of an organised world community falls into fragments. Marcellinus, one of the young men trained by Aetius, had been promoted to the office of Magister Militia in Dalmatia. On the murder of Aetius, he had refused obedience to Valentinian III, but on the succession of Majorian, who was also one of Aetius's men, he resumed his allegiance to the empire and was given the task of defending Sicily. The fall of Majorian drove him once more into rebellion, and though he was forced to leave Sicily, owing to the intrigues of Rissima among his troops, he maintained himself as the independent ruler of Dalmatia. In the great expedition of 468, he joined with the eastern and western emperors as a practically independent sovereign and though he was assassinated in the course of the expedition, possibly at the instigation of Rissima, he seems to have left his nephew, Nepos, the future emperor, to succeed to his position. A pagan and a friend of philosophers, with whom he held high converse in his Dalmatian palace, Marcellinus stands alike in his character and in his political position as one of the most interesting figures of his age. His contemporary, Agadius, is a man of more ordinary type. A lieutenant of Majorian, he had been created Magister Militum per Gallius, and on the death of his master, he had assumed an independent position in central Gaul, with the aid of the Salian Franks, who in revolt against their own king, had, if Gregory of Tours may be trusted, accepted him for their chief. In 1463, he had defeated the Visigoths in a battle near Orleans and put himself into touch with Gaiseric for a combined attack on Italy. But in 464, he died. His power descended to his son, Syagrius, who maintained his independence as Roman king of Soissons until he was overthrown by Clovis in 486. Parallel in some ways, to the position of Marcellinus and Agadius is the beneficent theocracy which St. Severinus established about the same time in Noricum, a masterless province unprotected by Rome and harassed by the raids of the Rugi from the north of the river. The saint meditated for his people with the Rugian kings Flacethius and his successor Philetheus. He used his influence among the provincials of Noricum to secure the regular payment of tithes for the use of the poor. In famine and flood he helped his flock and kept the lamp of Christianity alight 
in a dark land. The death of the nominal Emperor Severus in 465 made little difference in the history of the West. For two years after his death, the West had no Emperor of its own, and the whole Empire was nominally united under Leo I. Rissimer was content to prolong an interregnum, which left him sole ruler. Gaiseric was still pressing for the succession of Olibrius, and Leo was at once unwilling to create an emperor who was likely to be a vassal of Gaiseric, and anxious to maintain the peace which existed between the Vandals and the Eastern Empire. Accordingly, he delayed the creation of a successor to Severus until Gaiseric in 467, impatient of the delay, delivered an attack on the Peloponnesus. Leo now felt himself free to act. He listened to the prayers of the Roman Senate and appointed as Emperor Anthemius, a son-in-law of the Emperor Marcion and a man of large experience who had held the highest offices of the Eastern Empire. The gift of Anthemius's daughter in marriage was intended to conciliate the support of Rissima, and East and West, thus united together on a firm basis, were to deliver a final and crushing attack on the Vandals, and to punish Gaiseric for the reign of terror he had exercised in the West ever since 461. In April 467, Anthemius came to Italy, escorted by Count Marcellinus and an army. By 468, a great armada had been collected to be launched against Carthage. The expenses were enormous. One office supplied 47,000 pounds of gold, another 17,000 pounds of gold, and 700,000 pounds of silver. And this vast sum, which seems incredibly large, was furnished partly from the proceeds of confiscations and and partly by the Emperor Anthemius. A triple attack was projected. On the side of the east, Basiliscus was to command the armada and to deliver an attack on Carthage, while Heraclius marched by land through Tripoli to deliver a simultaneous attack on the flank of the Vandals. On the side of the west, Marcellinus, conciliated by the eastern emperor, who was not unwilling to see Dalmatia in the hands of a ruler practically independent of the West, commanded a force which was destined to operate in Sardinia and Sicily. Once more, however, Gaiseric defeated his foes, as in 442 and 461, and once more treachery, perhaps instigated by the subtle Vandal, proved the ruin of an expedition against Carthage. The Alan Aspar, Magister Militum per Orientum, frowned on an expedition which might render his master independent of his support, and already dubious of his ascendancy. He seems to have procured the nomination of Basiliscus as incapable procrastinator in order to ruin the success of the expedition. Rissima, Generalissimo of the West, was in a very similar position. He feared the success of the expedition because it might consolidate the power of Anthemius, and he hated with a personal hatred the Count Marcellinus, who commanded the Western forces. The inevitable result followed. 
Basiliscus was amused by Gyseric with negotiations, and not unwillingly delayed, until Gyseric sent fire-ships among his armada, and destroyed the bulk of his ships, while Marcellinus, after recovering Sardinia, was killed in Sicily by an assassin, in whom it is impossible not to suspect an agent of Rissima. The success gained by Heraclius, who had won Tripoli and was marching on Carthage, was neutralised. The destruction of Basiliscus's fleet and the assassination of Marcellinus involved the complete failure of the expedition. When one remembers that Aspar, Rissima and Gyseric were all Arians, one almost wonders if the whole story does not indicate an Arian conspiracy against the Catholic Empire. But political existences are sufficient to explain the issue, and the real fact would appear to be that the two generalissimos of East and West were content to purchase their own security at the cost of the empire they served. End of section 50